Aussie music is something to be proud of. Wear it like a badge. Because it's Australian bands and artists that are the influencers of so many other musicians the world over. So at Triple M, we're proud to be able to showcase the power of the Aussie music scene. Paying both homage to the greats that have stood the test of time, right alongside the current, the emerging, the future influencers. The ones that will be next to make their mark on the global music scene. If it's Aussie and it rocks, it's right here. This is Triple M's Homegrown with Matty O. Yes, right around the country on the Triple M Network. That's 49 stations and on the listener app. This is a very special guest, someone who I've always wanted to get on this show. An incredible career. We've grown up watching her, listening to her. She's introduced us to some of our favourite artists, whether it be Triple R in Melbourne, Triple J, ABC TV, Recovery Channel V, instrumental in launching this show. The list goes on, and we'll touch on that a bit later on, but what's happening right now is she's spearheading a campaign to raise money for one of her and one of the great Australian musicians, Ollie Olsen, an incredible music career so far. You may remember tracks like... incredible career this man has appeared in over 19 bands across the journey you may remember him of course way of the world and a track we're going to talk about uh right now it is for an incredible cause it is Adelita on vocal duty. Rooms for the memory as I welcome the one and only Jane Gazzo, Triple M's homegrown. It's so good to see you and oh, so good thanks, to have you Maddie. back in the studio. Thanks, mate. Yeah, mild stomping ground. Yeah, you've uh, you've done well with the show since I left it, mate. No, it's, I remember I came in and did my first ever co-host with you, like sat in and just kind of watched you. And I felt like I was in a movie or something because I've grown <laughs> up watching you everywhere, like Channel V, like I said before, so... It's incredible. It's great to see you. Um, I wish there was, you know, it was under better circumstances in a way with what's happening oh, during the Oh, look, we've got a celebratory yours. song in a sense, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, um, Ollie Olsen, just kind of looking through his musical career, it, it's quite incredible, isn't it? Like it's 19 nuts. bands, like scoring uh, TV shows, starting record labels, like it's an incredible career. But I reckon a lot of the audience wouldn't have heard of Ollie Olsen. Um, apart from Max Q that still gets played on Triple M, Way of the World that you played and mm. sometimes with Michael Hutchins out on vocals. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of nice to give him the dues that we so feel he richly deserves. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first track you heard from Ollie? Well, it was actually from the Dogs in Space soundtrack, of course, that cult film from 1986 uh, directed by Richard Lowenstein starring Michael Hutchins. Yeah. And I heard both... Um, Win Lose, which was Ollie's contribution to the soundtrack, but also Rooms for the Memory, which closes Dogs in Space so beautifully and went yeah. top 10 in January of 1987. Yeah. Is I it... think it was Michael Hutchins' first and only solo hit. That's incredible. Mm. Um, what about first time seeing him perform live? Well, I've never seen Ollie perform live. Okay. And never. Really? No. If you could pick any era of Ollie and watch him play live, which would it be? It's probably the no era because so many people who are around in the 90s in Melbourne tell me that it was absolutely anarchic, crazy. It was pretty much a whatever goes and whatever gets played on stage is what is what the audience sees. So I wish I was around for that. But, I mean, 
it would have been great if Max Q was allowed to have toured with Michael Hutchins, but unfortunately, now we hear, um, now that certain members have passed on, that um, In Excess's management was quite worried about Max Q because they was they were worried that it would steal Michael Hutchins away from In Excess and that In Excess would potentially break up. So I believe mm. that In Excess management were quite um, adamant that Michael not spend too much time promoting that particular Max Q record back then. That's a really good segue. I found a snippet of an interview that he did for MTV in the States back in the day. And this is Michael talking about the popularity, especially in the pop sense of Max Q. Now, you were going to do this project, Michael, that yeah. was to the way to the left. It doesn't like quite sound like that. It's not. No, like it's it. more commercial than in excess in many places, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. That's his fault. That's because he yeah, wants so to be a big I wanted, rock star. No, I wanted to make a commercial you know, record. <laughs> I mean, it's like. No, we did want. To, yeah, we did. Because I, you know, really, you know. Well, we wanted to make wanted to make something accessible but good. Yeah, you know, it's just good pop music. That's all. It's crazy, isn't it, that mm. Ollie would be involved in Michael's, you know, biggest pop potential release. Well, yeah, yeah. They met on the set of Dogs in Space and it was from there that they decided to form Max Q a couple of years later. And I think Michael was drawn to Ollie because he was so, uh, I guess, uh, accomplished musically. And also it was a nice break from in excess. I mean, you think that they, they were around, they formed in 1978. Michael by this stage had been with the band some 10 years or so. For for Michael, Ollie must have been this respite from the drudgery of touring yeah. and making records. And Ollie is so, as I said, accomplished musically and just has these incredible ideas. Yeah. Um, so I think it was kindred spirits. I think I think Michael was drawn to Ollie as much as Ollie was drawn to Michael. And it was not only a wonderful friendship, but that 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 first that that first and only Max Q record, so brilliant. Yeah. And um Ollie tells me that they were actually talking about re- recording the second follow-up album before really? Michael so tragically passed in 97, there was talk of working together again and wow. what they could have created with that second Max Q release. Well, there is an incredible interview with you and Ollie for the Australian Music Vault. And um, this is a, a great question to ask. Here's Ollie talking about the first time he ever met Michael. Describe meeting Michael Hutchins for the first time. Do you remember first meeting him at that point? I do remember meeting Michael and it was like he had a really cool flat in uh, South, South Melbourne, a really, you know, really wealthy person's flat. Uh, like he didn't rent it, but someone had rented it for him. Um, but I thought, this guy's a rock star. <laughs> so my first impression of him was he just had exuded rock star, but he was cool. You know? yeah. I liked him. Yeah. But it was a, it was a bit uh, it's a bit intimidating. Yeah, right. When I first met him, and of course it turned around the other way, <laughs> and I intimidated him. <laughs> so anyway, it must have been nice to sit down with him for a long form chat. What was that like? Uh, it was possibly one of the most challenging interviews I've ever had, Maddie. To be honest with you, because uh, by this stage, well, it, this was on that. Interview was recorded October last year, and um, unfortunately, multiple system atrophy, which is a form of Parkinson's disease, had kind of taken over Ollie. And and it's still, I mean, he's still with us, thank goodness. But it's a degenerative disease, and it was just tough because you could see he was really struggling. But he so wanted to get his story, his legacy down yeah. on on 
on camera, on film, talk yeah. about his rich and varied career. Um, but, you know, by the same token, he was just lovely. He's such yeah. a beautiful soul. And just I can just so see that Michael Hutchins and him being intimidated <laughs> by each other. <laughs> yeah. Because Michael did have that aura of rock star and Ollie was living in share houses in North Carlton, you know, you know, and, and, and you can imagine the state of the share houses and it was all instruments everywhere the way Ollie describes it to yeah. me. And, you know, not a lot of money to go around. So I, I imagine, you know, Michael must have loved the kind of carefree nature and this kind of musician, you know, dirty, scungy, scuzzy share house, you know, versus the rock star in South Yarra being put up probably by his management. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like it's music in its purest form, isn't Mm. it? It's just like, and then maybe you think of where In Excess were in their career where it's like, well, you got to do this because of this. This video clip's here, you got to be on this schedule. Like, I guess maybe it was this, this freedom that Ollie had that... Michael didn't have and would never have again. That's so true, Maddie. That's so true. Uh, so tell us about, you know, you teaming up with our Adelaide, Nick Lunay, to, to raise money and to help Ollie. How, how did this kind of all start? You know, it's funny. I always go by gut instinct. And I had pulled out for some reason last year the Dogs in Space soundtrack. And I think generally because I do love Rooms for the Memory and uh, you can't get it on Spotify or you couldn't back then last mm. year. Um, and it, that, that song, the Michael Hutchins version, just kept going round and round and round in a loop in my head. I had to interview Adelita for the Australian Music Vault. She's an old mate. Yeah. Um, I, and it, that song was so prevalent with me the day that I was interviewing her. And after the interview had finished, I just said rather cheekily, and I wouldn't normally do this, but I said, Adelita, do you know Rooms for the Memory, the Michael Hutchins song? She goes, oh, I love that song. I said, have you ever thought about doing it, like covering it? No way, Because really? I can totally hear your voice. And she said, she's kind of looking at me, she's going, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. And I, she was recording her new album at the time. And so I was trying to get her to record it just because yeah. I thought, oh, my God, this song is so ripe for a cover. Yeah. Well, nothing came of that. Then I interviewed Ollie in October for the Australian Music Vault, and that's when he revealed to me that he had – multiple system atrophy, uh, stage four, basically. Mm. Um, And then he went on to tell me that it's not recognised by Medicare. So all hospital bills, uh, everything has to be paid for by him. So Mm. there's no rebates whatsoever. He doesn't get any money. Um, Yeah, it's it's tough because they don't know a lot about this disease. Mm. So bottom line is I kind of sensed he was struggling financially and I went and set about and spoke to his partner, Jane, who's absolutely beautiful uh, and, and was his full-time carer at the time. And I just said, look, what would happen if we put together a GoFundMe for Ollie just to help with medical expenses? And she went, oh, my God, I can't tell Ollie. I cannot tell him because he's a proud man. But she right. said, you've got my blessing to do it. Let's just do it and see what happens. Yeah. We had probably raised around seventeen or 18000 by December. And mm. then in January, I said to Jane, look, I want to re-record Rooms for the Memory for Ollie as a gift. Um, by this stage, I had The Bad Seeds, Mick Harvey from Nick wow. Cave and The Bad yeah, Seeds. Yeah, yeah. I'd also spoken to Andrew Duffield from The Models. Mm. Andrew Duffield played on the original Michael Hutchins, Rooms for the Memory. Wow. Because he was in Whirly World with Ollie Olsen because yeah. it was a Whirly World song originally. And then, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Duffield was on board. I just had to convince Adelita. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and um, we managed to. I don't know how, but she said, yeah, I'll be involved. Everyone worked for free. Yeah. We, with some of the GoFundMe money, we booked Sing Sing. We chose the date of the 23rd of January because that would, would have been Michael Hutchins' 63rd birthday. 
and we recorded it. Now, after we recorded it, Nick Lorne, who again mixed the original Hutchins version, came on board. He remixed or, you know, made yeah. it sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, we, Richard Lowenstein, of course, Dogs in Space, filmed the first Michael Hutchins video for Rooms, filmed this one. Again, everyone worked for free. Wow. And what the result is what we have today. Um, and this week we're number one on the um, air oh, chart. Yeah. So amazing. from just a pure passion project with all funds going back to Ollie, I might add. Yeah, so yeah. even Zenith, you know, Rush released this as far as vinyl was concerned. I mean, it's it's on Spotify too and all the streaming services. But yeah, mm. and you know, we got we got all the PR and promotion for free because people love Ollie. People absolutely love Ollie. So all this money is going back to him and. He's this week just seen his first number one, Maddie. As wow. I said, the Australian Independent Record Charts. Um, it's number one, and Kylie's Padum Padum is number two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's lived to see his first number one for a man, as you said, is in nineteen bands. Yeah. And you know, Mac, Max Q kind of did re- reach p- commercial potential, but certainly not a number oh, one. That's so incredible. It's. Well, that must make you feel so good. Like, you you know. I actually cried. I've got to tell you, Jane sent me that she actually sent me the screen grab from the charts. Wow. And I actually just rang her and just started crying because I know how much it means to Ollie to be around to see something like that, you know. Well done putting this together. (laughs) It it, it must be such a rewarding thing. And I guess what's really cool about that, people will see this as a number one and go, oh, cool. I'd like to know a bit more about Ollie. Mm. And we'll discover this amazing collection of music. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the same way you felt when you heard him for the first time, you know, other people are going to get that now. Yeah. And it's quite avant-garde. A lot of his stuff's avant-garde. He's always been on the cutting edge. He's never chased fame. You know, it's yeah. very electronic, electronic, but he, he's self-taught. He was always uh, way ahead of his time as far as those synth noises and those crazy yeah. computer sounds. And that's really influenced a whole, whole bunch of uh, Australian musicians that will will tell you better than I can about yeah. how much he's influenced them. But um, as a person, he's just a sweetheart as well. So, yeah, it, it kind of feels it, – it, you know, I, 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 saw, I saw a place where I could help somebody, you know, you just, it doesn't take much for me yeah. who's pretty well connected to get people together and go, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Um, but for him, it meant so much. And what a kind of journey too. Like, you know, it just must be one of those things you're going to look back on and be like, man, I remember hearing this for the first time. <laughs> and then I was able to do this for him. And we're yeah, talking, yeah. you know, you were going to, the goal was to raise $30,000. You're nearly there. You're like wow. 28, 29. And it's looking like it's going to go past. Like that's amazing as well. Well, that's just, you know, that's just money for, for, for Ollie to be, comfortable and safe, I guess. And, and for Jane, you know, he's his carer as well. So, um, yeah, I guess anything, anything that, yeah, they get is, you know, means so much to them. This has now spurred, uh, the record label to release the Max Q stuff, which is great. So it means that you know, all that stuff that's not available on Spotify or anywhere else is now going to be available, re- reissued all his back catalog, um, which, which is great again. So, yeah. yeah. Jane, it's an incredible thing you've done. You can uh, donate. There's a link down below, but you can just head to GoFundMe and follow the links below in the interview. If you're or just buy the record. And buy the record too. <laughs> it all goes uh, to a great cause. So another reason why I think this is such a great thing you're doing, Jane, is this, raise awareness, this raises awareness for this condition as well. Mm. And uh, like you were saying, Medicare doesn't recognize it, but it is things like this that can really make that change and make that difference too. Absolutely, Maddie. Yeah, you're right. Uh, not a lot of people know about multiple system atrophy and um, nor nor is it recognized yet, mm. but we hope through, yeah, the various exposure and talking about it, talking about MSA that we can, 
hopefully get things yeah. changed. You know, this is this is the way change happens. Yeah. Um, Jan, I was just wondering, do you want to play a little game that I've got lined up for you? Oh, you got a game, Maddie? Yeah, yeah. I'll play a game. Okay, sure. here we go. I took a walk so this game is called Memory Lane. Like yeah, sure. there, there would be a lot of people that would be listening to this right now who have grown up watching you, you know, throughout your career. You've done a lot of amazing things. So what I thought is I'd pull out random things from your career okay. to see what you remember. You All might right. not remember anything. Okay, and, uh, try me. I like this game. Part of it is that uh, I've read this stuff online. Okay. And it might not be true. So don't believe everything you read online. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I want to know if you once uh, you shared or you lived with... A member of the Prodigy? Absolutely. Was An original member of the Prodigy. Yeah. I lived with a girl called Sharky Campbell who was an original dancer in the Prodigy when they first formed. Nice. Basically what had happened, it's no secret that the Prodigy are the product of dance raves in which a yeah. lot of, um, let's say, drugs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah. be blatant here, yeah. were consumed. Yeah. Perhaps Sharky may have ingested a few too many during those party rave days dancing on stage with the Prodigy. Yeah. Um, and on the eve of their first European tour, Sharky became quite ill. Like she couldn't tour with the rest of the band. Really? And she contracted ME, a form of like um, yeah. fatigue syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't go to Europe with them. and. Right. I think she was bedridden, she says, for about two years. Right. Can you imagine the band that you started or formed or were integral member to in the original days, yeah. just watching them become absolutely massive, globally massive. Yeah, it'd be like Pete Best and the Beatles. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, uh, the wonderful thing to this story is that she remained really good friends with them and became a casting agent and is a really great casting agent in London now. Oh, cool. But I'll never forget... It was six o'clock in the morning, Maddie. I'd been out myself, yep. probably ingested a t- few too many beers and yeah, wines. Yeah, yeah. Got home, walked into the kitchen. There was Keith Flint, God rest his soul, uh, the fire starter from the film clip, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cooking bacon and eggs in my kitchen. He'd stayed the night because he was hanging out with Shark. They were catching up. No and I'll never forget walking in, and I was like bleary eyed as all hell. Yeah. Walked in, saw Keith Flint, and I just went, Oh my God, ran out the house again, rang my flatmate Sharky. I went, the fire started cooking in the kitchen. He's cooking in my kitchen. Yeah. And she went, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Jane, yeah, he stayed the night. He couldn't drive last night. So yeah, he's cooking eggs. You want some eggs and bacon? That's how she talked. Um, yeah, and and I, yeah, I've never forgotten. He was wearing oh Union God. Jack shorts, by really? the way, yes. So like completely in character, like how you would see him on TV. Absolutely in character, but he was lovely. What was it like working in radio over there in the UK? Like how, how long were you there for all up? So I was there for eight years and I worked at BBC Six Music, a digital radio station uh, for four years. And I was also at a commercial network um, or two commercial networks, XFM and Capital FM. And they weren't unlike Triple M actually. Uh, They played more indie music though. Um, And I loved British radio. I loved being an Australian in British radio as well. Yeah, Uh, You got all your expats that listened as well because, you know, obviously I knew me from Triple J days, but um. I got to, you know, it was funny. I would be on air um, in London and you'd get a phone call in the studio and it's like, oh, hi, Jane. Um, I'm a fellow Australian. Um, yeah. It's Libby Gore here, Elle McFeast. Um, I'm in London. Do you want to do something? Really? Or once I got a call from um, 
young talent time team member from the 70s, Sally Boyden, uh, who I really? remember because I was, I was around in the 70s watching young talent time. But she said, oh, I'm from young talent time. Don't know if you remember me, but I'm Sally Boyden. I'm living here in London. And we became firm friends. I mean, it was just that kind of place. So. Yeah. And what kind of, um, what was it like, you know, going to those festivals as well? Like I was having a look through some of the festivals that you used to work at, like you've done all the big ones over there. Yeah. What was it like experiencing those? Cause I guess in Australia around that time, was it pretty much just the big day out? Like It that... was pretty much the big day out. So what was it like going there and seeing that on like steroids? The, exactly. That's so true, Maddie. Those British festivals are on steroids and they're four, five, six times the amount of people that yeah. we could ever get at a Melbourne or a Sydney mm. uh, festival. They were great experiences. My favourite one was getting uh, hurled off the stage at Glastonbury because <laughs> I'd managed to sneak onto the stage at Glastonbury, one of the main stages at Glastonbury while Morrissey was on stage. No and way. I was a huge Morrissey fan. I loved the Smiths growing up. Yeah. My friend Victoria ha- knew the, knew the security, it wasn't security guard, but he was working on stage. Like he was one of the, the, yeah. the hands on stage. Yeah, one of the production guys. Pa- production yeah. guy. Thank you, Maddie. Yeah. So he snuck us on because Morrissey insisted on a closed set, which means uh, no no public are allowed on on the stage while the band are performing. Yep. So he he had requested this. So uh, the stagehand said to us, "Listen, if you want to watch Morrissey, hide behind these drum risers here. No Just stay way. out of trouble, and you can watch the show pretty much." Well, I'd gotten through about three quarters of the show, Maddie. It's Glastonbury. I'm looking at Morrissey's so close to me and I'm just going, this is, this is teenage heaven. Cause I had him on my wall. Yeah, of course. Teen. And what happens next? The manager spots me. Morrissey's manager no. spots me. It's manager slash security guard. Yeah, of course. He basically, some words are said to whoever. Next thing you know, <laughs> I got picked up from side of stage you didn't. Um, and frog marched off the stage in front of all these stage hands, you know, oh, basically no. booted down the stairs <laughs> yeah. of this stage. Of course, all this while Morris is performing, not in view of the public, I might add, yeah. you've got to watching him, but also, but in view of everybody backstage. Oh like, my God. I was so embarrassed, <laughs> yeah. um, but it certainly remains one of my favorite festival memories. Were any of your like bosses there as well? Were you there for they, work or were you there I for as a punter? work, but thank God, nobody, but you know, the people working that stage that day knew and um, oh, all funny. was restored. Yeah. Thank God, no one, no one was the wiser. Do you have any like, um, kind of, <laughs> yeah, that would have been, if your bosses had seen that, that would have oh, been yeah, like, instant dismissal, instant, easily, yeah, yeah, yeah. easily. Do you have like, um, a backstage kind of pinch yourself moment where like, you know, it's obviously, you know, it's like better than yeah. anyone where you've run yeah. into someone, you've seen someone maybe having lunch and you're like. I've got to go and meet that person. <laughs> Has there been like one moment that you've just been like? I did. I met Martin Gore from Depeche Mode. Now Depeche Mode, I mean, there's no, I mean, they've just been part of my my fabric, like yeah. from growing up, you know, and they've been making music again since the late seventies. Yeah. Um, met Martin Gore from Depeche Mode and again, had, had all the posters on my wall, had all the records. So yeah. to meet him backstage was a real pinch me moment and... We ended up getting incredibly drunk, not just me and Martin Gore, I might add. There's like, you've got to remember, there's about yeah, 20 yeah, yeah. or 30 hangers on, of course. Yeah. But Martin was buying all the drinks backstage. I mean, I think they were free anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. know, he, it was kind of, and um, we ended up doing sing-alongs. Like, I can't tell you what songs were sung because everybody was in various states of inebriation. But <laughs> yeah. I just remember thinking, this will probably never happen ever again where yeah. I'm with one of my teen 
heroes. Uh, I just just want to meet Dave Gahan now, the lead singer of Depeche Mode. And I think, you know, done. teenage dreams will be sorted. <laughs> How cool is it when you meet someone that you really like and they're awesome? Because, you know, sometimes Brilliant. you can meet someone who you idolize, you meet them, you're like, man, I wish that didn't happen. <laughs> that happens, right? Oh, absolutely. It happens. <laughs> yeah. 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 It does happen. Yeah. I, none spring to mind, thank goodness. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I read this as well that you briefly worked with. Courtney Love? Correct. Can you tell ding. us about this? It's a ding, ding sound, don't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. That's the one thing I'm missing. I was working for Alan McGee, who signed Oasis. He ran Creation Records. I was very, very green. I just literally arrived to London and I was looking for work. And Alan knew that I was looking for work. Why on earth he thought I would be a great fit for Courtney? (laughs) I have no idea. But basically, Courtney was looking to release her America's Sweetheart album through Alan's label, Creation. So So Courtney was speaking to Alan a lot. Courtney said she needed a PA. Alan said, I've got this bolshy, brash Australian girl. She's looking for work. I think she'd be great. Now, mind you, Maddie, I had never been a PA ever before in my life. Didn't know what a PA did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd just come straight from recovery in Triple J. I mean, what would I know about sorting <laughs> out Courtney someone's love life? Too. And it's Courtney Love. <laughs> but you're not going to say no to working with Courtney Love, are okay. you? You're you just remember, not. Do you remember your first day? Do you remember like what you what entailed well, at the start? What had happened was Alan rang me in his thick Scottish accent. He's like, Jane, the next call you're going to get is Courtney. She's in Cannes Film Festival. She needs a PA. So you're going to get, she's going to call you. That's probably more Irish anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the next call you're going to get is Courtney. Oh my I God. didn't like say yes or no to the job. I just got told that that's what I was doing. Courtney rings me and it's not even, hi, can you do this job? It was just like, Jane. I'm I'm at Cannes right now. I need a house to live in when I get I'm arriving in London on this day. You need to sort a car, a house. I need hair and makeup. I now remember I'm just fresh off the freaking boat from <laughs> Melbourne. How that so, you know, thank yeah. God for my network of friends who actually did know what was going on. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you just can't you can't fudge that. So Somehow ended up getting this beautiful three-story terrace house in Earl's Court. Amazing. Uh, got her a driver. Um, she gave me her Amex card to go crazy with. I mean, God, I could have had a shopping spree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and I basically then just had to sort out the next couple of weeks that she was in London. Wow. Uh, let's just say uh, makeup artists were called to the house they sat in the lounge room for about three or four hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a very surreal experience. Oh, I bet. Very surreal. Do um, moments like that and when you think about, uh, you know, Morrissey, does it feel like a lifetime ago or does it feel like yesterday? <laughs> well, I've got kids now and I'm quite the responsible adult, <laughs> yeah. but I was quite carefree and I wouldn't yeah. take, you know, I would just do anything and so, yeah, you wouldn't, t- you know, I was quite, I was quite, um, Bolshy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't see myself doing those things now. So I, No, of course. I, but I'm kind of proud of myself that I went, oh, okay, yeah, good on you, you know, because yeah. you look back and you have a good chuckle and a laugh about it. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, obviously, uh, a lot of recovery fans um, that listen to the show and I loved the reunion kind of episodes you did with Dylan on YouTube recently. What was it like to kind of revisit, you know, some interviews and talking like I saw the one you did with Regurgitator all those years later. Oh, yeah. And um, what's it kind of like, you know, doing those chats with Dylan and then like 
looking back at all the bands you spoke to, mm-hmm. there's like Gurge just did their 25 year anniversary tour of units, sold out like two forums. Grinspoon have just sold out their November tour. Yeah. I mean, what was it like being part of that show and kind of looking back and, you know, reminiscing with Dylan? I love working with Dylan. He's still to this day my favorite person to work with in the world ever. And I've worked with a lot of co-hosts. He's possibly my favorite. And I just love the fact that he's such a funny bugger. He's so funny and quick. And I'm quite straight when it comes to presenting, but together we can, oh, totally. you know, we, we, we still have that magic and we, we rediscovered that when we did our YouTube series Recovered and we love working together still to this day. So I really value that friendship and I'm so glad I went through that with Dylan because I know how much recovery means to people. You know, it was only, but what, three or four years on the Australian landscape, but I know you know, just talking to even bands like yourselves, yeah. Maddie. So many band pe- kids saw that show and said, "I formed a band because of recovery." Mm. And you know that you've had this effect, but you don't really, really quite understand it. But then when those flashbacks happen and you meet people and you talk to them, you know, I've still got girls that come up to me and went, "Oh, my entire fashion style was built on your hair clips and your." crazy t-shirts or, you know, Dangerfield, you know, girls going to Dangerfield on Saturday afternoons to buy what I'd worn on the TV. That's so nice. What's it, um, that that, that was going to be my next question. You must get people coming up and talking to you about those kind of moments. That's, that's really special. It it, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. But I think you're right about Dylan. I think he's probably one of the most talented host performers like I've ever seen. Like Mm. I'll see him like emceeing a music night. I'm like, there's no one better than you. He's brilliant. He's not only a wonderful, he's not only great at his, at his craft, but he's also also an exceptional human being. Yeah, so I, I get that too. Yeah. yeah. I've never properly met him, but I'm looking forward to meeting him one day. Excellent. Um, if it wasn't on recovery, uh, a lot of people. VHQ, Australia's home of live music. Channel, Channel V, I recently <laughs> had Osha on the show. and this is, Yeah, and this is what he said, kind of looking back and reflecting. I think us at Channel V really came into our own. Nobody was doing that kind of television. No yeah. one was connecting bands with their fans like that. Yeah. Uh, and bear in mind, we were beaming out on satellites right to the most remote parts of Australia and we had live chat rooms going on with people from, you know, living on a cattle station, 800 k's from a post office were able to go. Yeah. You know, nobody was doing that back then. It's pretty special. Mm, mm. Well, it's funny. Channel V had changed a lot from the Osher days yeah. and James Matheson days to when I got there. We were more streamlined, but we still did those Splendor in the Grass specials, the yeah. big day out specials. So being part of those live broadcasts, things like Live Earth, the concert for climate change, and the concerts for Fire and Flood in Sydney and Melbourne simultaneously where Channel V was broadcasting for around about 12 hours that day. I remember those live broadcasts, live television broadcasts that you don't just don't get for that long anymore. Yeah. You really don't. So they, they were probably some of my favourite moments. Mm. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the kind of next generation of music fan have really missed out on that. I agree. Which is why it takes me to the next thing I want to talk to you about. Um... I really believe it was the last decade of innocence. It was a time when the internet was in its infancy um, and record companies had a lot of money to spend on Australian music. And I guess, you know, we didn't carry camera phones and we didn't document everything every single moment. I think it's fair to say we lived in the moment perhaps Mm. just a little bit better. That of, you, that, of course, is you talking about 90s, the greatest... Greatest decade in Australian music ever. I think I agree. I think I agree. And it's because of those moments, you know, looking back at recovery, the big day out, and it was in, you know, you're in the moment. 
I totally agree. I just love the 90s. It really was the last decade of innocence too because come 2000, everything changed. The internet changed everything, the way we listen to music, the way we view music, the way we imbibe live music. Everything changed and suddenly the television, as you would go and watch Recovery on a Saturday morning at 9am or Countdown 6 o'clock in the evening on Sunday night, suddenly appointment viewing was no longer necessary nor wanted nor needed. So, look, you know, of course – the internet's brought so many wonderful things. Let's not get – but if we're going misty-eyed and nostalgic, I still think the 90s was the best decade in Australian music ever. Absolutely. So when I saw that, um, obviously recorded that grab and I played it to the Powderfinger guys mm. and got them to kind of reflect on that and they were talking about the biggest difference between festivals as well oh. and how they kind of, you know, lost their magic in a way. All of those festivals prior to people having mobile phones, they were so in the moment. I genuinely feel sorry for kids now that they can't just yeah, be there and watch good, what's yeah. actually happening mm. at the moment rather than thinking that they have to film it and that it would even bother to watch it because it's not going to sound good afterwards anyway. Wow. Wow. Yeah, even the artists miss those days. Yeah. Interesting. And it's in, Yeah, and to further on that, it's obviously not from the 90s or maybe it was the early 90s in excess at Wembley. Part of the magic about that performance is there's not a single person holding up a mobile phone. Yeah. One more thing I want to ask you about. Uh, you were asked to support this man. Tell me, do you want to go? Hugh Jackman, the greatest show on earth. <laughs> All right, I want I want you to take me start to finish. How did this opportunity come together? Because this is one of the funnest things. You DJ before the Hugh Jackman show. Is that what DJ'd happened? DJ'd before all six shows at oh, Rod Laver wow. Arena. So I've heard that song six times performed live, and I still love it. Yeah. How did this come together? I got like the call from the promoter. Whoa. Uh, someone had recommended me, and someone had seen me DJing because that's always you know during the lean years of my career, Maddie, and there have been some. Mm. DJing's always got me through. I've been really fortunate. I've always had DJing to fall back on. Yeah. And got the call from the promoter asking if I was available, said yes, and I was the opening act. And by opening act, I'm talking about a gangplank in the middle of Rod Laver Arena. Oh, were you on that? I was on the gangplank. You know, the the models, you know, the little (laughs) catwalk. Yeah. Um, They set me up with a DJ booth. Uh, mixing desk thing. Yeah. And basically I think it was eight to, let's say it was seven o'clock because the show started at seven 30. So from seven o'clock to seven 20, I was basically, no, actually seven, no, right up until the start of the show, actually, nice. I was playing go and find your seat music. So people were coming oh, into the auditorium yeah, yeah. looking for their seat, ready for seven 30 to start, but the doors would open at seven. And I was just basically playing music to all and sundry who were sitting there waiting for the greatest show to start. Yeah. It was wonderful being part of a production like that because Hugh Jackman has the best people ever working for him and they're from all different parts of the world. You know, he's got the best lighting guy, the best sound guy, the best stage hands, you know, and they come from all everywhere. Yeah. And they were just a wonderful team. They'd been obviously touring around the world with this show, so they they were really good mates. There was a family atmosphere. Right. And the best 
food catering oh, backstage I, I have ever had, I have <laughs> yeah, to tell you. Yeah. And I just would get there early so I could get a good feed in <laughs> yeah. and try all the different delicious dishes that the chef had made oh, that's so backstage. Cool. But I'm still friends with some of those people now who worked who worked on the show. So yeah. it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I still can't believe it. In fact, yeah. on my last show, yeah. the sixth and final show in Melbourne, I said thank you to the audience, good night, you know, Hugh coming up in just a moment. <laughs> wheeled down the catwalk. No way. <laughs> Is there any footage of that? <laughs> there might be footage. There might be. Oh, my God. That's so fun. <laughs> How cool is it to do those shows, not only because of, like, the performance, but the people you get to meet too, like the people you meet yeah. behind the scenes, well, like, you, along the journey. you touring yourself, Maddie. It, mm. It's always about people make places for me. It's not yeah. just the place itself. It's the people around it. So, yeah, we're fortunate. I just... I don't think I could exist in any other industry apart yeah. from the music yeah. industry. It's been such a great journey. Um, thank you so much for joining me, um, chatting about Ollie and just going through some of those, you know, uh, memories from the past. There are so many people that, you know, live and breathe for you, myself included. So it's been <laughs> a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Maddie. It's been awesome being back on.